0: you're visiting, we're glad that you're here today. As we come to the Word of God, let me tell you what we believe in this Presbyterian Church. We believe this is the holy and Word of God. You're here today because God brought you here today, whether you're a young child or a middle schooler or a high schooler. Um, God has brought you here today. And, uh, and I think this is a very important text. Actually, it's a text that I, I preached on uh, probably 20 years ago, even though the sermon's completely different when I first got here to Athens. It's kind of a freestanding sermon. I didn't think I was preaching today, but I looked at my calendar again, and I was. And so I want to read the text to you. I want you to look at this text and think about this text, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. And um, so if you would, turn uh, to your bulletin there. And, uh, and follow along with me and, uh, and laser focus as we read God's word. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. He thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns. And I will build larger ones. And there I will store up all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for you for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. The things you have prepared, whose will they be? And so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. He said to his disciples, And by the way, chapter 12 is one big, long teaching that's there, just, just to let you know. I didn't have time to preach the whole chapter, but. And he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you'll put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn." And yet God feeds them. Oh, how much more valuable are you than the birds? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to the span of life? If then you're not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? So consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you're to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom. These things will be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy and provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where there is no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is God's word, let's pray together. Uh, Father, we thank you for a gospel that is so straightforward and it speaks to life. It just, even if somebody is maybe not a believer here today, there's something about your word and your words uh, that resonate with us. Uh, Father, uh, all of us, including the pastor here this morning, Uh, We we sometimes do not reason too well. Uh, According to our text, uh, we can be foolish like this man. And we're anxious about this and we're anxious about that and we don't trust you about this and we don't trust you about that. Uh, But Lord, we pray that we would know what it means to be united to Jesus and to live every day in light of eternity. Every day as a day that we'll give an account, thanking you that Jesus has already accounted for us. And so I pray, uh, Lord, that you'll take these feeble words that I will speak, um, and Lord, make them come to life. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your Word; that your Word is living and true. Father, my desire is never to, to beat up, never to discourage, but only to be truthful, to lay our hearts open so that we can hear the good news of Jesus Christ, that he loves his people and will never leave them nor forsake them. And as Brantley said, that our sins, past, present, and future are gone. They've been paid for. But Lord, we pray now that the penalty of sin has been paid, Lord, that the power and its grip that it has on us, even as believers, sin in our members might be broken as we understand this gospel more clearly. And we ask these things... In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Uh, Twenty years ago, Mary Beth and I came to start a church here in Athens. We planted Redeemer. It'll be 20 years this summer. In fact, in August, we're going to have a a great big celebration. We're going to celebrate. We're going to bring people in that have been here at Redeemer. Old musicians, it's going to be a great time. But if you've been at Redeemer for about a decade or, 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 or more... Uh, One thing that you know that I'm very reticent to talk about are two things, uh, politics and money. You ever notice that? The reason I'm reticent to talk about politics is because we're not Democrats or Republicans. And actually, we're not even in a democracy, we're in a theocracy. And uh, we, as believers, are to submit ourselves to the reign of Jesus Christ, whatever government is out there. I'm not saying we shouldn't be involved in politics. Uh, I probably read more about it than most of it. I like politics. It, um, it's enjoyable But I'm also was reticent and have been reticent to talk about money because when I came here, my desire was not to get all the people that are unhappy at another church to come to Redeemer. My desire, and still is my desire, is that we reach lost people. That's why churches exist. That's why they should be planted. Good Shepherd or Resurrection. And so people that are not Christians, and maybe if you're here today... Uh, tend to be squeamish when you start talking about money. But I'm going to say something about a politician so I can say something about money. But what I really want to talk about is neither politics or money, but about our hearts. Or to put it another way, what is actually the reality of your existence? If you'll notice in verse 15, look at verse 15. Jesus says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And as I looked at that word in the Greek, it's a very fascinating word. It's a word called huparko, which means I exist and and this is what possesses me. It's addressing the issue of the heart. That's what's going to go on uh, here in our text. And let me tell you the politician at least I was most impressed with. It had nothing to do with their views, but it had everything to do with their tax return. Maybe some of you already know who I'm going to talk about, and it wasn't the male of the species. It was Carly Fiorina. And uh, in her tax return, she and her husband gave 15% or more of their income. Uh, One of the guys I was interested in uh, gave about 2% when when I saw his tax return. Uh, it kind of made me wonder if he believed anything that he's talking about. So it's not so much about her politics, but her life. That, that, that says something. Does that say something to y'all that somebody gets fifteen percent? Now think about what, what. think about what that does in a marriage. I mean, do you think they have a probably good marriage? What if you were to sit down with your spouse and say, "Hey, I want to give fifteen percent," and they go, "Whoa." Uh, I'm not saying you give 15%. I'm just saying that that what she, she it made me want to listen to her. And then I started listening to her, and she's probably, in many ways, uh, the best candidate, the most clever, the most intelligent, in my view. But there again, you go, oh, he's well, it's Carly Fiorina. No, he's not. Um, I was just impressed with her life and what she did. So she gave 15%, and I don't know what her religious background is, but let me tell you, you know, the average giving of an evangelical is 2%. An evangelical that knows Jesus is 2%. But notice what Jesus says in verse 32 through 34. And that's what he says. Look there. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, to give it to you. And then he says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that that do not grow old, with with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no monster stores. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So really, when you start looking at your life, if you want to know exactly what your life is about, to a degree, it has everything to do with your possessions. But again, I'm not. I don't want to talk about money. I'm not. I don't want to talk about tithing. Uh, I've got a, a standalone sermon to talk to you about the issues of the heart. Now, why did I choose this text? W- well, if you've been around for the last uh, four or five or six weeks, we went through the book of Titus, and what we said in the book of Titus is this: If you're saved by grace, you will live by grace. And to live by grace is to bear the image of Jesus Christ. That it is your desire, because you know Christ, because he's raised from the dead, that in your relationship with him, then his life begins to be imparted. And this bypasses people. It's amazing. Anytime you start talking about the importance of duties or responsibilities within the Christian church, the first thing that people start talking about is legalism. Uh, but the reality is legalistic people are miserable people. But in reality we are united to Christ and therefore we see everything from his resurrection power because we're united to him. It is as it were, as you said Brantley, we're lifted above the realm. Not you, that was Todd. Give Todd the credit. And, and I chose Ecclesiastes for that reason. I didn't really explain it to him why, but he saw it and he nailed it. But the, the problem with the writer of Ecclesiastes is the problem that so many of us have, and that is we're looking at everything at the horizontal lo- level rather than the vertical level. And so we, we, uh, when we begin to see the, ri- the reign of Christ, that he governs everything. Let me tell you what he's supposed to govern. He governs our family life, our, our sexual life, our community relations, and especially our possessions. And since we talk, look at the book of Titus. Paul is basically saying this Christian should be working this gospel out. This is how it should be working out in your lives. Now, like if you're a high school student by now, and you've been a redeemer, there's no way in the world you should leave and go to college and go, yeah, I'm going to live my own life now. And if you're going to do that, then you have the problem maybe with a lot of other people. And that is simply that you have not really, by faith, understood that Jesus wants to divide you from all the stuff that's out there to himself. I mean, that's what it is. I mean, that's what the gospel is. And so here's, here, it, but, but, but to, to, you, you can't, like giving your money is not a change of heart. I mean, you might give a tenth, you might give 15%, you might give 20%. I have no idea. But that doesn't mean your heart's been changed. But, it, but how you give and what you do with your possessions is a tremendous indicator of your understanding of the grace of God in your life. You just can't get away from that. I mean, Christianity is just not a series of propositions. It's not being reformed in your theology. or believing in the sovereignty of God, and, but you don't give anything because you don't trust Him. It's merely a concept at that point. Versus what Jesus tries to get to is this man is dealing with a very real situation in his life. His brother is being unjust. So here, here's basically what I want to say uh, this morning. God does not want or need our possessions. But how we see our possessions determines what truly possesses us. It is Christ through faith or it is greed through fear. I need a little bit more and then, then I can relax. Relax. So here's the three things I want to see in the few moments that we have left. Uh, the first thing we're going to see is that he exposes our heart's tendency to bend toward itself. You notice that? It's always bending back toward you, not toward others or toward God. It's a natural inclination. If you're not a Christian, let me tell you, that is the natural inclination of a Christian heart. But then after he exposes, he explains where our hearts should be centered. And then finally, he exhorts us to consider what creates this new heart that is directed toward God. I mean, if you don't have this new heart, and I'm, I pray that, I've I been praying today, this week, that somebody would be revolutionized by this, this gospel that I want to preach to you. And so the first thing to see is that he exposes our heart's tendency to bend in on itself. Now what we see here, do you notice how there's this man who comes to Jesus? And, um, and he wants Jesus to uh, mediate between uh, him and his brother. Apparently his brother wasn't giving him the inheritance. It was due to him. It was fair. And, of course, he knew Jesus was concerned about social justice, which he is, and income equality or whatever. You know, Jesus is concerned about, he's concerned not about income equality, but he is is concerned about issues of income, about justice. And so this man thinks uh, that Jesus is uh, concerned about that, so he comes to Jesus. Now, let me tell you what's very inappropriate about this man's request. And I'll tell you, this guy reminds me of so many people that might be here today that hear a sermon and they completely miss the whole point of the sermon. Here's the first thing that's inappropriate. If you go back to verse 1, do you know how many people are there? It says thousands. There's so many people that they're like trampling on each other. That'd be a whole lot more people in here. would be 10 times the amount of people that are in this room. Or more than that, and then here's this guy, and I guess there's maybe some break in there. And here's what's inappropriate. He says, hey, Jesus, me, me, me. Would you, would, you, would you be an arbitrator between me and my brother? Now, the reason he would do that is because rabbis, that's what they used to do. Because they knew the, the scriptures, they knew the Old Testament. Well, let me tell you what's even more inappropriate uh, about this guy. What's more inappropriate is that he apparently didn't hear the sermon that he had just got through preaching. Can I I read to you what he's talking about in verse 5? It's not there in your bulletin. Listen to what he says. I tell you, my friends, that there's thousands of people around. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after, have nothing more they can do. But I warn you of whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed... Has authority to cast into hell, yes, I tell you, fear him. Now, let me ask you does that seem to be a little bit of an inappropriate question, talking about a temporary uh, inheritance that he's going to get from his brother, even if he's justly asking for it? When Jesus got through talking about, you need to be thinking about things eternal, it's inappropriate. How does Jesus respond to this man? Well, he responds in two ways. Uh, first, he just flat out tells. He he, he doesn't turn him. He turns to the crowd, and I can't tell you after this guy asks that question. If you ever ask a stupid question in class, and the, and the professor starts saying, "Well, uh, Mr. Farnsworth, that's really an interesting question, but it's really a stupid question," yeah, or, or you know, you say something, then you start getting rebuked or whatever. Well, he he turns to five thousand or however many people are there. And uh, he says this, uh, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? I, I didn't come to make judgment about temporal things. And by the way, you want to learn about family, weight till the inheritance comes. Anybody experience that? It's like, well, wait a minute. Hey, huh? But he said, I didn't come to judge on those things. I came to judge the world of eternal things. I'm not concerned about your money. I'm concerned about your soul. But then he turns to the crowd and he says, right, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I got to tell you, as I was th- like a sermon and thinking about it, I thought, man, you know. I wonder how much I'm deceived about this. Um, you know, when you go to your accountant, uh, do, 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 does your accountant encourage, if your accountant is a Christian, are they encouraged when they look at your tax returns and go, wow, man, you give a lot. Or are you embarrassed when you go to your accountant? You know, we have computer things here that, it kind of tracks what we give. Now, I don't go check that out, but I tell you what, if you're a leader at Redeemer or if you're thinking about being a leader, there is no way you should lead if you're not one who gives. And I, now how much you give, now, I, personally, I mean, I, I think it's a tenth. That's just me, okay? And there's different agreements about that. Uh, in some ways, we should give more than that uh, under the new covenant. And so, but let me tell you something. It's very difficult to talk to people about money. And that's why, I guess maybe that's one reason I don't talk a lot about it. Let me give you an example. A guy named Joe Bland. Brand. Joe, no, Joe Bland. Joe Bland. Jim Bland. Joe, well, whatever. He's with Generis. And Joe, I'm sorry if you listen to this tape. I forgot your name, but. And uh, he spoke at Presbytery uh, about seven or eight years ago. And he started telling, uh, he, he, what he does is he goes into churches and finds out how your churches give and how your people give. So he goes through it. And uh, I, I, I was blown away. And I'm not going to give you the statistic because I've given it to you before, but basically I'll tell you this, 15% of the people in every church give 85% of the budget. And I'm not talking about people who are, are, are just wealthy people. In which, by the way, this text is not saying anything against wealthy people. Some of the greatest givers I know are wealthy people. Because that's not what their life's about. And some of the most stingy people and covetous people I know are middle class people. Always needing a little bit more. I need a little bit more. Uh, so, I, so I heard this. It blew me away. I said, Joe, no way. That's not true at Redeemer. He said, okay. Uh, and so we paid Joe, and he came over here and he looked at it. And guess what? Exact same numbers. Now I was a little disappointed in that because I thought, man, you know, we got it going here. Well, I tell you this, we could have a whole lot more going if we let go of our possessions. So many needs. And, and we'll look at that in, in just a moment. Uh, but then I just, then, then his program was hey, I tell you what, what we'll do is you can sit down with every member of your church and you can look at how they're giving because he said, why is that not a shepherding issue? Maybe they're hurting. Maybe they haven't given because they ain't had any income in a, a year or two. That, that happens. And, you, and then you find out about it. Or maybe it shows problems in the marriage because maybe the wife really wants to give more money and the husband, he's freaking out because he's supposed to provide. He's like, no, I'm not doing that. Now, i tell you, I've done a lot of counseling, and when I counsel people, we talk about marriage, we, we talk about sex, and we talk about a lot of things. But you know what's very interesting is you can't hardly talk to anybody about their money. If you say, hey, well, let's talk about this for a moment. You, you realize how people recall? You know what? I'm going to tell you why. Because more than anything in the world, our money and our possessions dictate our heart. And... Um, And so we see the man's problem here, and Jesus is addressing uh, the problem. And so he reveals the nature of the heart, and he says, listen, people, be on guard. And I don't have time to go through all the Greek words, and I I got them all in Greek, actually, right there on my notes. I don't have time to go over them all. But let me tell you, one of the, the things it talks about, in a moment we talk about being foolish, it talks about, you know what, you better use your reason. You better start asking yourself some hard questions about what you put your faith and trust in. He says, beware of covetousness. And the word covetousness in the Greek can mean to abound beyond other or to get ahead of everybody else. I want to be ahead, man. I don't want to be behind. So that's the first point. He exposes our heart's tendency to bend in on itself. Here's the second thing, though. After he exposes, he explains where our heart should be centered. Now, how does Jesus do that? Well, the way Jesus does that is he does it through this parable. And again, if the guy's not already shrinking a little bit, I'm wondering if by the time he hits this parable, that man's kind of weaseled in his way back out of the crowd. So he tells this uh, parable. It's an amazing parable. In fact, I'll tell you this. Of of the uh, 39 parables that Jesus gives in Luke, I think uh, 14 of them have to do with money. (laughs) Have to do with your possessions. Have to do where your heart is. But before we look at the parable, let me ask an important question to you this morning, every one of you. you, children. Is your heart satisfied? Is your existence one of peace and joy? Because Jesus says your life, your existence, where you live, that's what it means. Where you are living? Is it one of peace and joy in the Holy Spirit? Or is your heart's desire to want more of whatever the thing is that you want? You want more from your relationship with your spouse. Anybody want any more? You eyes? If only my husband, boom, or if only my wife, from your parents. You want more from your retirement plan. You want more from your favorite team. You want more from your boss. You want more from your employees. You want more of uh, from your medications. You want more out of Redeemer. I want, I want, I need, I need. And I put this in big... Uh, print here because you know my question is is your heart being emptied because it is full or are others hearts being emptied in your effort to fulfill to fill your own heart you understand can I read that again is your heart being emptied because it's full or are others hearts being emptied in your effort to fill your own Man, I need to be more successful at work. I need to work harder. And guess, guess who pays for it? Guess who gets emptied? Your spouse, your children. Uh, I want more money. I need more. And when I get around to it, I'll give more money. Uh, so as you're trying to fulfill up to take care of yourself, is, is the coffers of those who are the poor and the needy, do they get empty? It's just, you just have to ask this question. This is why this is such a piercing sermon. parable exposes the heart of a man filled with himself and his desires. notice' in verse 16. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I, 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 for I, have, no, I have, no, I have nowhere to put my crops. Well, he could give some of it away, right? He's not doing that. So what does he do? He tears down his barn. He builds a bigger barn. A large one. And there I'll store all my grain and goods, and I will say to my soul, So you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Kind of sounds like me. (laughs) Don't don't y'all live to relax a little bit? Uh, I mean, who doesn't want to be merry to a certain extent? I mean, mean, at some level, these things are nothing wrong in and of themselves. But that's where he exists. That's what his whole life is about. I'll just make a bigger barn. I need more stuff. Don't you see the thrust of what is being said here? Have you ever watched those commercials um, with uh, Smith Barney and all the financial guys that are on TV? And you're trying to enjoy your football game. And then here's this guy that's about my age. But of course, he's tan and he's skinny. He's got, at least he's got white hair. And uh, he's out there and he's got a little uh, mint julep and, and he's there with his wife and they're laughing. And, and it's like, now here's the, now this man has saved his money wisely. And, uh, and this is what we want to do for you. So you can be like that man on the beach. And then you go, golly, I've screwed my whole family up. I've, I've been tithing. And uh, and I'm not going to look like that guy on the beach. It's looking like unless I do something here. But uh, or or you listen to Dave Ramsey. Have you ever listened to Dave Ramsey? And and boy, you love the people. say, man, I'm just screwed. I owe fifty thousand dollars on a credit card, and you go, I feel good about myself. But then there's the person that says, Well, Mr. Ramsey, I've been using your program for three years, and I'm out of debt. Now I'm up to fifty thousand dollars, and I and you go, Oh man, I hate that guy. (laughs) But the man's not stupid. Is he? He is a rich man. He is a smart man. He is working hard, and there's nothing wrong with that. And, matter of fact, I wish everybody in here had a huge barn that you're emptying all the time. Over here at the school. Across the street. For Lee and all these missionaries. It's so sad. That, uh, Tim, where are you? Tim. Raise your hand. Right there. Tim. Stand up for a minute. I don't want to embarrass you. Stand up. Tim, ordained minister, uh, he needs to go to Africa. But he can't get there yet. You know why? Because our coffers were building bigger barns. But if you were to go with me to Africa and be Solomon and all these other people over there and you see all the stuff that's over there, man, I'm telling you what, it'll make you and let go of your stuff. And so the man is rich. But you know what Jesus calls him? Well, the Lord comes after he says, I've got it made. And the Lord comes to him and he calls him a fool. You fool! Tonight your soul is required of you. And guess what? That is in light of verse 5 where he says, Fear him who is able to kill both your body and cast your soul in hell. Um, you know... Um, I heard this the other day that the the second leading hymn at at funerals in America. Number one is Amazing Grace. That doesn't surprise you. You know what number two is? I did it my way. That's not a hymn. Okay, I know that. That's not a hymn. I get that. (laughs) You know, blue eyes. I did it my way. And, And you just go, oh my gosh, the guy's dead. And who cares? And you probably did it your way and emptied everybody else out of their account. Because that's what you're about. You know what the word here fool means? Let me tell you, it, it has everything to do with the ability to reason. It's, it's all about reasoning. Think about it. And I want to tell you two ways to be a fool and then we'll come to our last point and i just take a few minutes with this. If Jesus Christ is not raised from the dead, if he never existed, you realize how stupid it is we get together all the time to build this building. Somebody paid for the air conditioner, toilet paper in the back that we have to have every week. Somebody's paying for that. And some might be paying more than others. But how stupid it would be and how foolish it would be to give your life to a man that was never raised from the dead. That's one side of it. But can you flip that over? And if Jesus Christ is the son of God and he's in our text saying, listen, don't worry, your father knows your needs. He cares about you. Do you realize how foolish you are is if you live your life and your existence and is about, ah, oh, my soul says to myself, relax. Eat and drink and be married. But one day you'll give an account for the life that you Now I, I'm telling you, if you don't know Jesus Christ, this should really make you want to hear this last point. If you do know Jesus Christ, it should make you go back and go, "Man, golly, am I really, am I really believing these things?" And so the last point. So he exposes, he explains, but now there is this exhortation, and you know what the exhortation is. The exhortation is how he creates the new heart. And let me just show you where it is. I didn't write my verse down here. But notice what he says in verse 28. Would you look there for a moment? But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more would he clothe you, O you of little faith? Let me tell you, I, let me tell you what I'm not saying. I'm not saying, okay, y'all get on to giving now, because it won't do you a bit of good. If you start giving your money, Before you give yourself to Christ, do you understand something? You're giving your money so you don't have to give yourself to Christ. Jesus comes to be a divider, but not at the horizontal level, but at the vertical level. And what does he want to divide? He wants to separate us from this world by faith. And you know what decides whether we're living by faith or not? You know what takes it out of the realm of concept? I'm going to tell you, when you do what He's already done for us, He emptied Himself, didn't He? So that your empty soul might be full. Your, your, so, your soul, this. I'm going to tell you, if you're not a Christian, you're still going after all this stuff. Fame and, and uh, you know, been or maybe if uh, you know to be a the whatever it is, and you're going after all these things, but they, but they don't satisfy, do they? But you see, he emptied himself. Now you know what Jesus says. Here's the kingdom of God's like a man who sees a treasure in the field, and he sells everything he has: his car, his stock, his boat, his yacht, everything. To bank on that investment. And you know what that investment, that pearl of great price is? It's Jesus. You say, well, how do I know if I know Jesus? Well, let me ask you this. Are you living according to the same principle? Are you emptying yourself so that you might be filled? Are you trying to fill yourself uh, so you won't be empty? I would encourage you today, if you feel empty this morning, say, man, I, you know, I'm just so messed up. Well, join the heavenly crowd. Because you're emptied. And if God has emptied you this morning, you say, I'm a, I'm a sham. Uh, I don't give my money. My heart is graceless. I don't care about the poor people over there. Then you know what I say? Well, now you've been exposed. And come to him. For y'all that know Jesus Christ, isn't it wonderful he's always filling you up when you realize how empty you are? Well, you can experience that too this morning. I pray you will. Let's pray, Father. We confess to you that <clears throat> for many of us, we do believe. Help our unbelief, Father. When I think of all the knees around here, sure it would be awesome if believers would learn to empty their pockets. And I don't. I don't say that to make them feel guilty. I just see the need. And the Christian life is faith, hope, and love. Lord, uh, faith that you're going to take care of us. A uh, hope that we don't put our hope in all these things that we think will satisfy us, but Lord, our hope is in the world to come. And, and Father, our love uh, allows us to, to not turn our eyes toward those who are hurting, but to be willing to give up something so that others might know you. Father, thank you for this morning. I pray that if there's anybody here today who says, Lord, would you have mercy on just a, Lord, I'm just like that man. I want the inheritance. I want the stuff here. But Lord, you've convicted them and you've emptied them. Lord, can they know the fullness of joy this morning by asking Christ into their lives. And Father, for Christians who've been living fearfully all these years, maybe husbands and wives that are afraid to give money away, Lord, can they have a talk about it today? And would you give them this sense of being connected and trusting you about their finances? Lord, when we do things on our own, it doesn't work out too well for us anyway. And so, Lord, uh, pour out your Holy Spirit on this church. Uh, I pray for Tim that you'd raise up the money uh, for him and for Andrea. Father, I pray for... um, Just all the needs, uh, downtown ministry, downtown academy, uh, it's just overwhelming. Uh, But Lord, we know that out of our poverty as we give, uh, Lord, you'll fill our coffers. And you'll be blessed and pleased to bless us as a, a body. And we ask it in your name. Amen.